friends, welcome back to this podcast. Uh, we are in the second of four uh, messages about from Matthew 13. We're looking at uh, wisdom from the garden. I think uh, the first one that uh, Tim did was uh, something about Jesus's yoke that we get to carry. And, and that sounds counterintuitive, but, um, but I think it's, it's worthwhile wisdom. And today we're going to launch into uh, the first parable in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower or the parable of the seeds or the parable of, of the soil, whatever you want to call it. So I'm going to turn it over here and let Aaron read the scripture for you. Our gospel reading comes from Matthew 13, 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I started recording this message uh, this morning or this afternoon outside in our garden so that you all could see the places that I was talking about in this message. But it was so hot out there that my computer said, I don't like this. And it sent me back inside. So you'll just have to imagine these places uh, as, as I share about them today. But uh, if, if we were outside, I could show you that I have volunteer tomato plants that are cropping up all over my backyard this year. I am always fascinated at the places where I discover these resilient little sprouts. And one of my favorite this year is a little, actually it's a large tomato plant that is growing off of the edge of our chicken coop. The chickens have nibbled down the leaves that made their way into the coop, but the rest of it is apparently flourishing with dozens of flowers and teeny tiny green tomatoes. And this tomato bush is nearly taking over the path that we've worn that leads to the, the, the chicken coop. So 
Another place that I have found tomato plants this summer is in our back lawn. Smack dab in the middle of the grass and the dandelions and the clover are two little tomato plants. And I have informed Kip that we have got to start mowing around them as they mature. I can't figure out how they came to grow into our lawn except to wonder if perhaps they were sown by our chickens one afternoon when they were out wandering in the yard looking for bugs and, and happened maybe to distribute some of their chicken fertilizer carrying those digested tomato seeds. But who knows? There they are, they are growing in our back lawn. And honestly, I have no idea what kind of tomatoes they'll end up producing, and I guess we'll just be surprised. We'll see. But then, of course, I've got some Cherokee purples and some early girls and some brandy wines that I have planted myself this spring in our garden beds that, where they were actually intended to be growing. And I've laid compost around them, and I water them regularly. And these particular tomato plants are so heavy with green fruit that they're actually tipping over right now. So I remember growing up hearing this parable that Aaron just read for us and feeling a bit anxious, thinking like, like, what if I were one of those bad soils? What if I were rocky ground where the gospel wouldn't take root or or the thorny ground where the crises of the world kept me from fully following Jesus. Most of these soils were poor soils. And seldom did I find myself thinking too proudly that I was one of those few people who were good soil, producing an abundant harvest. This was honestly never one of my favorite parables of Jesus for that reason. It seemed to say that most of us wouldn't survive in faithful discipleship and, and that there were only a few select few who would actually thrive. Now, to be clear, I don't think it's saying that. I think that that way of understanding the parable just doesn't seem to fit with the way that I see its speaker living. That is, it, it doesn't seem to align with Jesus's life, Jesus's ministry and Jesus's teaching. And so today, I want to suggest three things from this parable, uh, three things that, uh, number one, the sower is extravagant. Number two, the seed is ubiquitous. And number three, the harvest is mysterious. The sower in Jesus's parable here seems to be oblivious to good farming strategies. Now, I'm not a farmer but this just doesn't seem to be a good strategy. I mean, he, he's tossing the seeds willy-nilly up into the wind, into the briars, onto the path, amongst the rocks, next to the chicken coop. Uh, all these places that seem unlikely to be strategic for growing real fruit. And I don't know about you, but that actually seems pretty foolish. Um, all of my seeds that I, I plant, they come in these limited quantities and in little packets. Like my envelope of cucumber seeds says that there are 18 to 25 seeds per pack. And even the arugula seeds that I saved from last year's crop only fill the very bottom of a single envelope. And so if, if I happen to toss out most of those seeds onto the hard ground or under the lilac bush, they're completely wasted. 
And, and once those 25 cucumber seeds are tossed, I mean, they're gone, they're, they're, they're finished. So even a big bushel of say like barley seeds or whatever it is the sower is sowing is still a limited quantity. It, it's, it's a bushel, but not so with this sower. Apparently this particular sower in Jesus's parable seems to think that that seeds come in infinite quantity, that they're, they're unlimited. Or perhaps another way of thinking about it is that it makes some strange sense to the sower to toss out unlimited seeds into useless places. The, the sower is throwing caution to the wind. The sower is, is a high-risk sower. Uh, perhaps the sower is imagining that something might emerge from an unlikely place. It, it's as if this sower thinks that all soil is potentially good soil, as if there's enough seed to toss everywhere, leaving no piece of ground uncovered with seeds. So at this point, it, we might just want to ask ourselves just who this good sower is, who is so optimistic about these broken and barren and thorny places. Now, Jesus himself, in his explanation of the parable, uh, never actually says who the sower is. And, and there are multiple ways to understand it. But today, I want to suggest that perhaps this good sower is God the creator, the one tossing the seed extravagantly across the whole world. Because I think that by understanding the good sower as God the creator, the first person of the Trinity, it also gives shape to understanding the seed that is being sown by the creator. So that's the first one. The, the sower is, is extravagant. In, in Matthew's version of, of Jesus's parable, Jesus calls the seeds the, the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom. Now, in Mark and Luke's version, Jesus says that the sower sows the word of God. The word of the kingdom or the word of God, both of them are the seed that the sower is tossing extravagantly. And we often think of the word of God as the gospel in whatever way you happen to understand the gospel. And that the sowing of the seed is the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. But I want to consider another alternative to this seed, this word of the kingdom, this word of God. If you look at the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, it says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. What if it were not merely the gospel that was sown, the telling of Jesus's story that were the seeds. But what if it were Jesus himself? What if Christ, the word of God, is who the sower sows? The creator is tossing Christ into these diverse landscapes. The Episcopal priest Robert Ferrar Capone suggests that uh, Capone uh, wrote this really 
awesome book called The Supper of the Lamb. And if you like cooking and if you like stories and if you like recipes, that's a great book to, to take a look at. Robert Ferrer Capone's The Supper of the Lamb. But this is not from this book. It's from a different book of his. Uh, he's an Episcopal priest, and he says that uh, if if this were the case, that that Christ, the Word of God, is is what is being sown so extravagantly here, that this is what he says. He says that Jesus has already and literally been sown everywhere in the world, and quite without a single bit of earthly cooperation or even consent. The seed is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. The sower has tossed seed into all places. The, the creator has sown Christ, the word of God, everywhere. And in a critique of mission work in his day, Capone was writing this in the mid-80s, uh, he challenges that we have acted as if the word wasn't anywhere until we got there with him. That, that Christ was absent from a place until one of his followers carried him there, carried the gospel. Uh, but Capone continues saying, haven't we conducted far too many missions on the assumption that we were, quote, bringing Jesus to the heathen, when in fact, all we had to bring was the good news of what the word who was already there had done for them. Haven't we, in short, ended up just as he said we would as a result of his explanation of the sower? We see and hear and still don't catch on. You see, God's kingdom is at work everywhere, at work always and for all, rather than in some places, at, at some time and for some people. We see this reality as an integral part of Jesus's teaching, Jesus's life, and honestly, even in the push by the Holy Spirit of, of the early church to recognize God at work in those, those others, those known as Gentiles. So the sower is extravagant, sowing the word of God. The seed is ubiquitous. The word of God, Christ, is sown everywhere at all times for all people. And finally, the harvest is mysterious. It's mysterious. In Turkana, where we lived in northern Kenya, it's pretty dry. Rain only comes a few times a year. And most of the year, you can look in all directions and see nothing but a few scrub brushes and scraggly thorn trees. But when the rain comes, it comes heavy and it comes quickly. And then just as quickly, it's gone. But then after a few days after the rain, what was once a wilderness wasteland becomes covered in, in rich grasses and, and wild melons and wispy paper white lilies. And the desert roses, which have been long dormant, they, they begin to bloom again and, and suddenly the desert is a lush and fertile place. And all of those plants had been waiting for the rain, lying hidden, seemingly absent from the dry and empty land. And here we see the mystery of the harvest. We, followers of Jesus, good missionaries, 
we don't control the mysterious manifestation of the kingdom of God. I didn't plant that tomato plant by my chicken coop, nor the ones that are flourishing in my lawn. No one planted the lilies that are blooming in the desert, the, the grasses that are sprouting up after the rain. Is there any place or any people or any circumstances in which God's seed is not already sown, any place that Christ cannot sprout and take root? Places that appear empty, useless, wasteland are, are not void of the hidden seeds of the presence of Christ. Our joy is that we get to see them starting to take root and sprout and revealing them. God's extravagant vision is one in which the presence of Christ shows up in strange and broken places, breaking through unlikely soil to produce not merely a meager yield, but an abundant harvest. So may we have eyes to see the hidden seed sown by a good sower. And may we have ears to hear the rain that mysteriously leads to an abundant harvest so that we have so many tomatoes that we're giving them to our neighbors, so much zucchini that we're sitting them in open car windows. May we find Christ in all places and recognize the abundance of the kingdom that can germinate in all types of soil. Thanks, friends, for listening. I'm looking forward to sharing with you a couple more parables in the next few days. Well, Katie, we are so grateful for you and for your word from Matthew 13 on the parable of the sower. Uh, it was wonderful to get your thoughts and insight uh, on that passage and from that parable of Jesus. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I had a couple of questions that I thought would help us unpack a number of the things that you mentioned uh, in your sermon. Um, one I was just wondering about uh, was, do you have any examples from your own life and ministry of where you saw the seed of God sprout up in some unlikely places? Um, yeah, I think, I think that's such a good question. Part of it is for us learning to have eyes to see where Christ mm. is present and, and to start thinking about, about the seed that's been planted as the presence of Christ, or you could say maybe the work of the Holy spirit in us. Mm -hmm. Um, but but I, I think a lot of that is is disciplining ourselves to to see the way that 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 um, that Christ is at work um, and and then the gospel becomes the kind of thing where where you call that out where you you're able to identify mm -hmm. that that good news of of God reconciling things through Christ, restoring things through Christ, making all things new through Christ. That's mm -hmm. that then becomes the gospel is saying this, this here, this that I see is the presence of Christ at work in this place. And you know, I I think our tendency, Jake, is to 
to try to look for big things, mm-hmm. um, to try to look for those big moments or, you know, extravagant uh, changes and stuff. But, but, but honestly, when when I when I was sitting here thinking about this this parable, um, one of the things that came to me this past week was was a message from one of our property managers here at uh, at Inglewood, mm-hmm. and um, and and she's regularly working with with residents in our housing that um, that that struggle with a lot of a lot of barriers to, to a thriving life and mm-hmm. and some of them have been unhoused neighbors you know struggling with homelessness before they move into our place some of them have have various addictions and and different mm-hmm. kinds of mental illnesses and and things that, that some of us deal with you know on a regular basis and have some of us have learned how to work through those and some of mm-hmm. them just really struggle and 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 um and so we regularly, you know, get to hear stories of of our residents and our neighbors, um, and and the wrestling of with demons that they've got. And and so when um, when my friend, the, the property manager, came this week and and shared with us that that there was this young woman that um, that she'd been working with uh, one of the neighbors and um, just celebrated that she'd been sober for a month, mm-hmm. and you know, and and. Right. Uh, and to deal with uh, a month of sobriety um, for many of us, so we'll just say that's you know that's a very small thing. Yeah, it, it's very small. Um, but in in the context of of this woman's life, mm-hmm. it was a huge huge success. And mm-hmm. and the fact that um, that the property manager, my friend, had walked alongside her that whole time and had encouraged her and um, and stuck with her um, and been not just a neighbor but Christ to her. I think that 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 and and the hard work that this this woman did to be sober for a month is the presence of Christ, mm-hmm. um, and and the seed that is scattered, um, and scattered extravagantly, it shows up in a very small and unlikely place. And you know what do we see growing there right now? We see something just pushing out of the ground, mm-hmm. and and I don't know what's going to come with it. I I hope that that part of the 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 plant that grows from that is is two months of sobriety and then three right. months and then a year you know and mm-hmm. and and her ability then to start working through some of those other um barriers in her life that 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 she has but but a lot of that's done because we walk in community with one another we are bearing um bearing witness to the work of christ in one another um through those hard small um extravagant ways and it sounds to me like too you're suggesting that even for us as ministers, we need to maybe give ourselves a little grace to not just look on the macro scale, but to bring it down to a micro scale and look at the victories around us that are happening on a daily basis or a weekly mm-hmm. basis. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, yeah, and I I think a lot of it, Jake, is is training our eyes to see. Hmm. Um, and then giving word to it. Wow. Yeah. Well, that was going to be my next question was what would be some ways for us as followers of Jesus to put ourselves like in a posture of discovering the mysterious. And I, mm-hmm. maybe you've already answered my question. It sounds like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. taking the time to observe. It sounds mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. looking for the small mm-hmm. and then putting word to it. When you talk about putting words to it, um, what would be some maybe some practical ways of, of talking about that? Would that be sharing mm-hmm. a story mm-hmm. like this one uh, of mm-hmm. the woman that you're you're talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah, I mean, I think 
Um, I, I try. I, I try to. I try to really um, embody or give flesh and even posture to um, to my responses um, for things like this. And so, I, I mean, I think for me, I, I talk about you know entering spaces with an open hand, um, both an open hand to to give, an open hand to receive. But but if if there's something that 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 lands there, my hand doesn't go, you know, like this and, and hold on to it, you know, but it keeps, keeps my hand, my hand is open. And, yeah. and, and I think that that's part of the, the way to give words to it is, is mm. that physical gesture of, of, of holding something in the open hand. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and I think then coupling that with, um, with the posture of gratitude mm. um, and, I know that that's that's not a new thing. That's that's and and I'm not the. But it's person. it's something it's the it's something to be reminded of on a regular yeah. basis. And it's, it's something I don't feel like I've got a good handle on. Is 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 an attitude of of expressing gratitude and identifying the gratitude. But but I do think, um, and I'll speak. This is to me. You know, I'll speak that that I think that that helps us then develop those eyes to to give thanks for those small things mm-hmm. and to to be aware of those those um minute ways in which the seed that's scattered ends up um bursting out yeah yeah well i think that's a great perspective to have and even a great suggestion to say let's have eyes to see to observe mm-hmm. around us let's put word to what we're seeing happen mm-hmm. Let's approach everything with open hands mm-hmm. and an open heart, mm-hmm. not not holding too lightly, and then also doing that in gratitude. Mm-hmm. All of those sound to me again like ways we could tie back to the parable of the sower, seeing the places where to toss the seed, mm-hmm. uh, and then not holding tightly to the seeds, but scattering freely, and really even the sower giving uh, abundantly. You know, just throwing. It, it with ubiquity, as you said, mm-hmm. uh, with, a, you know, releasing abandon and just tossing the seed everywhere really means that they weren't afraid that they didn't have enough seed. Mm-hmm. There was an abundance out of gratitude, it seems, in that story, they could give freely. And, you know, I have to imagine that if God uh, is is thinking that extravagantly about tossing seed here, hither and gone and stuff, that that maybe God desires that from us as well is, mm-hmm. is to be extravagant with that. Let me let me add, Jake, one more thought um, to this that kind of as you were summarizing the things I was saying, it, it mm-hmm. brought to mind um, the passage that Tim talked about. And again, like I haven't listened to what Tim said yet. And mm-hmm. so if I totally contradict what he said or just like you go won't. off left field, then you all- We're gonna just cut you me. out. Yeah, but, uh, but it just, it makes me think that, that, that the burden that Jesus offers us to bear, that, that yoke that we carry, um, that we get to carry alongside with him, that shared yoke is, is that one of, of, um, of paying attention to those those seeds that are bursting out paying attention to the presence of Christ in the world and and being like like my friend uh, my the property manager being that that kind of presence to walk alongside those that um that are in places of emptiness and wasteland and those yeah. uh, those thorny places and and so i just i just wonder if maybe that's that's a way to tie into the the burden that we get to carry together with Christ 
Absolutely. Very much ties together. Yeah. We're so grateful for you and for this word, like I said earlier, uh, from Matthew 13. And we look forward to the other uh, sermons and other times that we're going to have you on the podcast. God bless you, Katie. Thank you.